What in the world did you expect? That is how we start things off today here in the fast lane as we are at the 2023 ACC football kickoff. And the question posed by that is largely because ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips spoke up and I guess commented on a number of different topics addressed if you want to talk loosely speaking. So for example, his situation with Northwestern. This is one of those where people would love for the media to just go into grilling him mode. And yet, everyone kind of knew what he was going to say and that he did address it. And kudos to him and the ACC media staff for helping him get out in front of that rather than being asked about it. Um, but deferring it to the fact that it's now in litigation and it's all being handled there and he can't comment on it until the situation is over other than expressing that he's you know, sad for everybody who's been victimized and, and things he would typically expect somebody with a heart to say. And that's about all you would have gotten out of this situation. And, and yes, people often want to put the commissioner in that spotlight. Uh, there's a time and a place to frankly push for more, but it didn't seem like this was the case. And you know, I look at that situation again. I'm, I'm not tied to Northwestern like others in college athletics and college football are. Surely, it's not a beat that we cover here with the ACC, notably Virginia Tech and Virginia, and then obviously Liberty, James Madison, Old Dominion, and the other Virginia schools kind of being a focal point for us. But at no point did I expect him to say something. Nor do I think he's all that close to the situation because if anything learning something from Ian McCall's time at Liberty or at Baylor with Art Bryles and just again my knowledge of that situation and having spoken with a number of folks about it yes you can clearly fault Ian McCall for not doing more and what happens under his purview is his responsibility but it being much more of a Bryles Baylor culture than an Ian McCall allowed and induced Baylor culture um so that's part of that then there's also just the raw business side of the ACC commissioner Jim Phillips speaking earlier today and one of the points that has come out from him and is worth reiterating is basically mentioning how difficult it is to get any kind of a grasp you know I don't know if you want to call it a stranglehold those were not his words but uh, a situation where NIL and college athlete inducement is under control. And he brought it up and you know, in making the point even that they are students and not employees as athletes. Um, in a perfect world, theoretically, yes. But you have to understand, first of all, a lot of the conference schools kind of believe that way, but clearly not all of them. I mean, there are schools... Florida State, Miami certainly come to mind that have used the transfer portal that by and large seem to have gone about it treating it as a business and a business opportunity with churn of the roster, what the definition of program buy-in really means, certainly find a way, finding ways to attempt to and successfully in some cases attract or retain their particular talent. Like that, that's part of the game and Yes, to say as a conference that you don't like it. I mean, I don't expect him to blatantly come out and just call out his own schools for kind of violating that protocol. But it doesn't mean we as fans 
are naive to what's actually transpiring. And nor again, do I have a problem with athletes profiting off their name, image, and likeness or the ability to transfer more freely considering coaches have often been able to do that. And yes, historically, coaches have induced a player to commit to a school and sign with the school knowing it's difficult or impossible for that player to get out of that agreement. And then as soon as that signature is there, the coach bails for, pun intended here, but greener pastures. Green, of course, being, yes, we don't have the sound effect from our guy Kenny Powers, but the dollar-dollar bills, y'all. So that is, it's one of the takeaways today. And then pleading for Congress to get involved. Well, I mean, look, if you're the ACC, and Jim Phillips touched on the idea of creative revenue streams, and we've seen some of these transpire with shifting how the payment of playoff funds goes, whatever the sport is. Obviously, football and men's and women's basketball are the economic drivers. But just any of that? You're looking at incentivizing other schools. But is that enough to bridge the gap between just the raw TV money of 60 to $80 million per year that is being made available to the SEC and to the Big Ten? And if they're not directly employees as players, the freedom in essence, if you're in charge of fundraising at those schools, to direct your boosters to support name, image, and likeness, which thereby, in essence, is creating a pay-for-play model that is more difficult for programs that don't have billionaire boosters, Oregon with Phil Knight, Miami with Argyle President, John Ruby's among others. How difficult is it to be able to, to combat that? So, I mean, the ACC can come up with creative revenue streams, but it's in some instances, it's not going to compensate for the gap. And in others, it may just set the blueprint up for what other conferences are going to do. If the ACC finds creative ways, whether it's, and I don't even know the legality of it, this is allowed, but we've seen it in the NBA, Major League Baseball, the NFL is held off on this, but what if you do jersey patch sponsorships? Well, then all of a sudden, what about the Big Ten and the SEC who are going to get more eyeballs and therefore theoretically a spot on their jerseys would be worth more money? We, we again, see how that comes right back into play you might call it circular logic, but I don't think it's circular logic as much as it's a copycat league. You know, the ACC, Georgia Tech, their field at Bobby Dodd Stadium being named after one of the regional car distributors. And if it works for Georgia Tech and brings them X amount of money, what's to stop their rival down the road from copying them? And then all of a sudden, the advantage Georgia Tech got is either wiped out or even the rival is making more money. So again more money goes to them. Like, you're getting as creative as you can for the ACC, but in essence, you're just trying to tread water as much as you possibly can. Right now, with where they are financially in the gap from others. And in prior years, there's been consternation. And Jim Phillips mentioned the idea of the saber-rattling that took place in Amelia Island uh, a couple of months ago back in May by what's been termed the Magnificent Seven. Clemson, Florida State, Miami, the two North Carolina schools, UNC and NC State, and the two Virginia schools, Virginia Tech and Virginia. But nothing coming out of that. I mean, between that, the years where people have seen the SEC and the Big Ten get richer and people trying to get that money themselves, I mean, I think we're pretty obviously aware now that you just kind of are where you are in the ACC. You're trying to get as much money as you can knowing how difficult it is and knowing that you know maybe a few years from now when schools might be looking around and it's more financially feasible to get out of the ACC. And I'm not talking about in 20, 
2025 or 2026. It's probably more likely 2032, 2033, when you get closer to 2036 at the end of the grant of rights. But that also playing into this for the longer-term outlook for the ACC. What is David Cunningham? of TechSideline.com think of this. Seems like he's already grown cynical of the ACC, and yes, some snickering already coming our way from him. Plus, Bud Elliott, cover for three podcasts with CBS Sports and their college football reporter. He'll weigh in on the long-term season outlook. All that's still to come here in the Fast Lane Live at the 2022, excuse me, 2023 ACC football kickoff.